begin a new series. The title of it is, it's the generosity of God. And up front, I, I got to admit this, that this was geared toward looking ahead to our building project, making space for change. But this is also true. This has far more to do than just a building campaign. Matter of fact, the more I've dug and been reading on this issue, generosity impacts the way we function as a church. It has profound significance in the way we live our lives every day, the way we live within the relationships within a church that where generosity is connected to that. Matter of fact, even when your family and also even marriage. So this idea of generosity and God's generosity needs to impact us. But understand this, even that word generosity, it always demands a response. You know, whenever we dig into the scriptures and the Holy Spirit uses the word of God at times to encounter us, and he invites a response on our on our parts. And I don't know if you realize this, that we're made responders. Uh, matter of fact, have you slammed on your brakes for a deer recently? I think I've hit four deers over my lifetime ago. And every time there's a rush of adrenaline, even a physical response to that. But beyond that, how about just if somebody ahead of you is driving, they're going, they're slowing up, slowing up, and no blinker. You know they're going to turn left or right. And you go, there's a response, isn't there? And you look, and they turn one way, and you give them the look. You know what I mean by that one? And then you look, okay, who was it? And there was an elder? No, just <laughs> won't pick on them this time. Our lives are filled with responding. Some of you are watching the Viking game. They score a touchdown. And here's the hard part. Some people get more excited about a touchdown with the Vikings than God working. A response. Yay, the Vikings won. Twins lost last night. Bad news, a response. Cancer, illness. We are responders in every day. Just matter of fact, parents, do a little test. Take out a $50 bill and hand it to your kid and go into a store and say, spend it on whatever they want and watch their response. That money is going to burn a hole in their pocket. They're going to go up and down the aisles and they're going to be looking and, you know, there's going to be a response on their part. Okay, kids, for you that are in here, challenge your parents to do that today <laughs> and see their response. And they're going, stupid thing, Ken, why did you say that? See, that's even a response. But, but here's, do we realize this? Generosity is a response. And even with God, generosity is a response by God himself. But let me push farther here. One of the things that I'm discovering is that as we look at this issue of generosity, it is deeply, deeply connected to how we view God, 
how we understand his love, how we understand his grace, our response and who God is are connected profoundly. And the more I dig here, the realization as well that, you know what, generosity is all over the scriptures scattered over as you read it you just see it coming out this concept over and over again but here's where kind of automatically we go when you hear the word generosity we think it's only about money and i'll tell you it's far more than that Um, you know in my study here the last couple weeks had a couple hurricanes people respond and the news points out look at those generous people who gave all this money and they think they're generous but here's my in my study now it would make this conclusion that the vast majority of people who give to that they think they're generous and they're not kind of rating on your parade maybe if you think that but here see people think that generosity starts with us And I'm here to tell you this morning, it does not. It actually starts with God and his love and his graciousness and his generosity. See, the virtue of generosity in a person, though, is deeply enmeshed in how we relate to God himself. Let me put a verse on the screen to begin. Acts 20, verse 35. Look at this. In all things I have shown you, this is the words of Jesus, or or Luke is writing here in Acts, that by working hard in this way, we must help the weak and remember the words of the Lord Jesus, how he himself said, it is more blessed to give than to receive. It's more blessed to give than receive. Can I ask you, would you consider that to be true in your life right now? Those are the words of Jesus. It's more of a blessing to give than to receive. You know, in our minds, again, we go to money right away, but even that text, if you look at that closely, it's much wider than just money. But I'll also catch this. Remember the flesh? How we're born with love curved into the self? See, we grow up believing that verse not to be true. Because at the core, we're prone to be wanting to be blessed rather than to give and be a blessing toward others. So does this verse ring true for you and me? And if it doesn't ring true, very likely, we actually have a lacking in the area of God's generosity toward us. The text today, Luke chapter 15. We want to dig here for a few minutes here this morning. And we want to read this. And let's just read it to begin. But started at verse 11, Luke chapter 15. If you've got your Bibles, again, you might want to highlight some things or underline some things there. But look how it goes. And he said, there was a man who had two sons. And the younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the share of property that is coming to me. And he divided his property between them. Now many days later, the younger son gathered all that he had and took a journey into a far country, and there he squandered his property in reckless living. And when he had spent everything, a severe famine arose in that country, and he began to be in need. So he went, and he hired himself out to one of the citizens of that country, who sent him into his fields to feed pigs. And he was longing to be fed with the pods that the pigs ate, and no one gave him anything." 
But when he came to himself, he said, How many of my father's hired servants have more than enough bread? But I perish here with hunger. I will rise and go to my father, and I will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you, and I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Treat me as one of your hired servants. And he arose, and he came to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and felt compassion. And he ran, and he embraced him, and he kissed him. And the son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, Bring quickly the best robe and put it on him, and put a ring on his hand and shoes on his feet. And bring the fattened calf and kill it, and let us eat and celebrate. For this my son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. And they began to celebrate. Now his older son was in the field, and he came and he drew near to the house, and he heard the music and the dancing. And he called one of the servants and he asked what these things meant. And he said to him, your brother has come and your father has killed the fattened calf because he has received him back safe and sound. But he was angry and refused to go in. And his father came out and entreated him. But he answered his father, look, these many years I've served you. I never disobeyed your command. Yet you never gave me a young goat that I might celebrate with my friends. But when a son of yours came and who has devoured your property with prostitutes, you killed the fatted calf for him. And he said to him, Son, you are always with me, and all that is mine is yours. It was fitting to celebrate and be glad for this. Your brother was dead and he's alive. He was lost and is found. A well-known parable. Now, if someone were to ask me what my sermon was for this week, and I said this, the prodigal son... If you grew up in a church at all, you would know this story. Matter of fact, some of you, when you hear that word or that phrase, a prodigal son, some of you are thinking of people right now that might be in your family. And you point to them and go, there's the prodigal son or daughter. But here's what you got to catch. The word prodigal, where we go immediately to rebellion, the story there, it really doesn't mean that. Matter of fact, um, do you notice that the word prodigal actually isn't in the text itself? Let me put up the definition of prodigal. look, Look at what it says. Wastefully or recklessly extravagant, prodigal expenditure, giving or yielding profusely, lavish or lavishly abundant. In more basic terms, it would say this, it's a lavish spender. That's what it means. Now, was the son, the young son, a lavish spender? The answer is yes, in the negative sense. But that word has far more, as an adjective, it's far more, you could put it in the positive as well. And ultimately, you ask, who's the biggest spender in this story? Look at verse 12. Father, give me my share of the property that's coming to me. And the father divided that property up into three parts. Now, who is the biggest spender here? It's actually the father, the dad. He decreased his estate by a third, 
And if, if we, you know, it's a story, but if it were to actually have happened, the dad would have had to have sold the land, given the money to the son. The son takes the cash. And now pause a second and you go, isn't that a reckless father that would actually do that? A foolish father? What kind of parenting is that? He should go to a parenting class. You would never give your sell your state and give it to your kids. A foolish kid. Can I give you the first point? If you got following along in the outline, look at what here's what I said. Do we know this? That our heavenly father is a prodigal father. He is a lavish spender. Now, was the son a foolish spender? The answer is yes. He looked for immediate gratification. He looked for the experiences that life could offer. He looked to the world for his happiness, and then he runs out of money, and all of a sudden it doesn't work so well. Now, I don't know if you caught as well another piece here, just a side note. Okay, he has to go take care of pigs. Remember that he was Jewish? He was speaking to a Jewish audience here. Pigs, unclean, unclean. But here's where we stop and we look at this story and we look at this young man and we go, shame on this guy. He deserves everything he got. Taking his inheritance from his dad before he even died. Folks, this story is a revelation about the character of God. It reveals the extravagant generosity of our Heavenly Father. Look at verse 17. But when he came to himself, he said, How many of my father's hired servants have more than enough bread, but I perish here with hunger? Now here's where we learn another thing here, because there's really a key point, I think, that that phrasing teaches us number two for your notes i said it this way to know and embrace the generosity of the father it begins with coming to the end of our independence that phrase there when he came to himself what what took place there it was humility And he began to put himself, he said, I'm willing to come under the authority of my father now. That was humility. And what he experiences here, as we read that, you know he experiences the profound, generous father. We have to say it this way. Pride keeps us away from the generosity of God. See, pride says, I don't need a heavenly father. I don't need a good father. Matter of fact, in our country, you know, life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness, we lift up independence, don't we? But, but we got to catch something here because independence in God's economy, that is no virtue. And we treat it in our country like it's a virtue. And it's not. There's more here. Look at verse 20. 
But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and he felt compassion. And he ran and embraced him and kissed him. And the son said to him, Father, I've sinned against heaven and before you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, Bring quickly the best robe, put it on him and put a ring on his hand and shoes on his feet and bring the fattened calf and kill it and let us celebrate, eat and celebrate. For this my son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. And they began to celebrate. Let, let me give you that point for your notes. Number three, God's generosity is rooted in his radical love and his forgiveness. Do you notice though, Along that line of what's missing, when you think about this story, what's missing? The father responds graciously, generously, but what's left out here, he doesn't wait for his son to come back groveling. No. See, because of his generosity, he sees his son and he runs toward him. And the response, he brings him and he puts a ring on his finger and he takes the best robe and he puts it on him and he starts the party. No strings attached. Instantly, he's back into the family. And, and But don't we have to admit that this kind of radical love, if we were to have been in the Father's place, it's not that easy. I, you know, as I was pondering, I think it was me, I, I hate to say this, but son, did you learn your lesson? Isn't that how some of us would respond? Why were you so foolish? No lesson here. Our Heavenly Father and His generous love doesn't start out with a lesson. I told you so. See, from an earthly perspective, you go, where's the wisdom of this Father? The Father didn't count the cost. I gave you a third of my estate and you want to come back to the family? You've got to begin to pay me back. No. He's throwing a party for him, spending lavishly on this party for his son. And no lesson. No, I told you so. Here's what we've got to catch. As we explore generosity, being generous doesn't start by always evaluating the costs. The dad didn't ask how much this party was going to cost me before he throws it. The dad doesn't spank his hands and he doesn't mention even his sins. Immediate and complete forgiveness. Are we translating this to God as Father? See, Jesus is revealing his Father's heart, a heart of generosity. And in this parable, the Father is other-centered a giver, and folks, that is our Heavenly Father. God's love is not curved into the self. Love and generosity flows from His character. Our Heavenly Father is a generous, generous giver. Now, understand where we need to go with this series. This is about us 
walking toward Christ, where he builds into our hearts, and the Holy Spirit gives us a heart of generosity. But please understand, it's not just about money. Husbands, this is about God changing your heart to become generous with your love toward your wife. See, if I sent your wife's, your wife an email and were to ask your wife, is your husband a giver or a taker? Now understand, there's a line and there's degrees on each side of the line. Is he a giver on the right side of the line or is he a generous giver? Is he a taker or a profound taker? So there's degrees, I understand that. Uh, years ago, I was doing a marriage class down in Baxter, and, and we were talking about this concept and about givers and takers in the context of a, of a, of a husband-wife relationship. And, and the person, there was a couple seated, we were, I can picture where the room we were at, and a guy right next to me, he, he leans over to his wife and he goes, am I a giver or a taker? You're a taker. <laughs> I, okay. I almost began to laugh. Um, I knew the guy. She was right, okay? (laughs) Are we giving? See, are we generous? See, it even impacts the way we approach church. And in the last series on the issue of a local church, I, I said this, so this conference I went to where the pastor over and over again repeats to the church, he says this, and his staff, okay? It's not about you. It's about the other, the people that aren't there yet. See, do we believe that? It's not about us. See, are are we givers or takers? See, when people walk into a church, do they look to give or do they look to receive? And not just a little bit more giving than receiving. How about generous giving? And again, not money. See, generous giving is how the Trinity functions. Do you realize that? The Father and the Son and the Spirit, there's this, I'm going to glorify you. Now I'm going to glorify you more. There's a generosity that's actually going within the Trinity. And so can we come to a place where we walk into a church and we go, it's not looking to be served, but it's looking to serve. Who can I present complete in Christ? See, if we're worrying about getting, or we're always counting the cost while giving, we're probably not very biblically generous. See, I believe this, that all of us, can talk our way into thinking that we're really generous and we're really not. I think the flesh easily has the ability to do that. But with this prodigal father, generosity has nothing to do with convenience. It's not about what he could spare, what he could afford. And understand the breadth of this, it applies not just to money, it's time, possessions, talents, See, but if we're counting the cost, finding what we can spare, that just doesn't fit this narrative very well. And can we really be honest 
We can give our money with degrees of generosity. But today there is actually an issue that's harder and more difficult than money. At the deepest needs of our heart, we can give financially, but be very stingy with our time. You know, I'll be frank with you. Pastors hate preaching on money. They don't like it. Because people interpret it as, you're just trying to guilt me. I go, no, that's not the point. But here's the conclusion I had even over, it's been the last couple of years, that money's not the hardest issue to preach on. It's actually time right now. It's time. It actually has greater value in our culture than money. It really does. We count our time. And to be honest, how much time can I give? Give some leftovers of my time. Can I give you a, I need to give you an inside ministry secret. You know, I've been on staff at a church now for about 25 years and uh, working in churches in ministry before that even. But about 15 years ago, I was just thinking back and, and something changed. And I think it was about 15, maybe a little bit more, 15 years ago, about the culture on Sunday mornings. And I'll say it this way. Here's the the secret. Sunday is the hardest day to find people to serve within a church. There's more family stuff happening, the pace of life on weekends, cabins, toys. It's my only day off. Worship pastor down at the church was at before, moved to Minneapolis, and he's at a church. He leads a church there. Uh, over 3,000 in the church where he's at right now. And they have to pay musicians to do worship. They hire drummers and guitar players. And and you look at it and go, 3,000 and they can't find people to serve? You see, the challenge for us, for myself included, we default to this, what can I spare? I gotta say this, that's the opposite of generosity. See, with a heart that's bending toward generosity, even in the area of time, we create this category of will it fit into my schedule when it's convenient? And you go, that's not generosity when we give out of that attitude. And I'm as guilty of it as others, I'll be honest with you. When I count the impact and what can I spare, I'm probably not as generous as I think I am. No. Matter of fact, I would say I'm not. And it was interesting, I think it was Monday, Monday or Tuesday, I was pondering this issue, and it was it was fun because the Holy Spirit brought three people into my mind that I personally was watching, and they were giving of their time generously. And I had to actually pause, and I, and I did, I said, God, Thank you for revealing that and reminding me that you are changing people's hearts in this area. See, generosity is costly. But being generous, it's not always counting the cost. See, it was costly for this dad. It cost him money. It cost him time. A third of his estate. See, it shows this heart of generosity, but listen to this. The father's generosity also led to him having to endure the venom of relationships 
Did you catch that? He had to take the wrath of his son by offering generosity. Look at verse 28. Older son, but he was angry and refused to go in. His father came out and entreated him, but he answered his father, Look, these many years I have served you, and I have never disobeyed your command, yet you never gave me a young goat that I might celebrate with my friends. But when the son of yours came, you notice he didn't call him brother? When my brother came back, nah. Who has devoured your property with prostitutes, you killed the fattened calf for him. Generosity created tension in that relationship. See, for the older son, the bottom line, it wasn't fair. He was comparing himself, he was counting. Father, are you giving what I deserve? The son was, I think, more mad at the father than the brother. But it also leads to a principle here in this text. Look at number four. Here's what, I think this is true. Being a rule follower does not guarantee that one knows or embraces the generosity of God. Matter of fact, for the older son... This was a twisted form of obedience. Being the good son, it was to get. Yeah, I think we lift up people who obey and and are doing it out of obedience, but I understand his obedience was twisted where he couldn't see and appreciate the heart of his father. Father, it's not fair. You're spending on this worthless man. He had written his brother off, and according to his older brother, the father, is the reckless spender here, and even in a negative way. But see, this story, folks, is about the revelation of the character of God, and the father did not count the cost. I I don't know if you realize this. I remember studying this at a hermeneutics class in seminary, this this passage here, and pointing out that when you look at the meaning of this text here with the prodigal son, we tend to elevate the the son who went and spent all of the money. We put that as the main point, and that's actually number three here, the third most important point. Number two is actually the older son. It's more about the older son than actually the younger son, but the number one key point here, it's about the father's love. Forgiveness, generosity, that is the key point in this parable. Now, now my guess is that some people here today, though, I, I suspect a few people, you're the younger son. You're staying away from the father. You're living life on your own independently from God and his family. Uh, Can I remind you that moving toward him with humility, that he runs to meet you. He's not looking to teach you a lesson. He wants to put a ring on your finger. He wants to put a robe on you. And he wants to remind you that you are his child. And he wants you to experience his profound generosity. So I suspect that some in that place today that he's actually whispering to you and say, come back to me. 
He's inviting you to come to the end of yourself. I'd encourage you to respond. He wants to jump off that porch and he wants to run to you. Why? Because he is a generous father. He wants you to experience his love, his forgiveness, his compassion, and he wants to give you a new heart. But just maybe there's somebody here today, you're the older son. You've assumed that obedience leads to God owing you. You've been slaving for, and God should pay you back. He never threw you a party. You've been faithful in tithing, faithful with your time, and your life has no joy. And God really isn't all that generous. Things aren't working out quite like you planned. I don't know if you realize this, but the older son here, he's actually stuck in religion, a form of religion, meaning that you obey to get favor and to be accepted and get merit. But see, what people don't realize is that that kind of obedience is actually rooted in self-love. See, many people think they're living in obedience, but they have no clue about the generosity of God. They're stuck. They're controlled by fear, anger, comparison, trying to control their lives. Givers, mm, not so much. And the starting point, if you're stuck there, is to know God's generosity. That you also must come to the end of yourself. And you need to listen to the Spirit whisper to you that God loves you just as much as the son who is trapped in sin. And he wants to build generosity in your heart. And when that happens, you stop comparing the circumstances to the younger son. And we begin to praise the goodness of God that this younger brother returned. But there's a point I didn't fill in for you. I need to get that. Number five, let me, let me fill that in for you on your notes. Because of God's generosity, he longs to give us everything we need. Look at verse 31. And he said to him, Son, you are always with me, and all that is mine is yours. It was fitting to celebrate and be glad. For this your brother was dead, and is alive he was lost and is found. My son, you're always with me. Everything I have is yours. Everything I have is yours. Larry, do you believe that everything he has is yours? If I went around here and named other names, would you believe that everything, if you know him, do you believe that everything he has is yours? That he wants to give to us, that he's generous to us. Now, now here's where uh, I'm going to say this. I, I think too many people are stuck trying to do Christianity by living by biblical principles. That's where it's found. I, I study the Bible to find the principles to make life work, and I go, you're missing something. Understand that generosity is rooted in a relationship with him. Generosity is about a relationship where we can climb up into his lap and he tells us, everything I have is yours. 
what does God need to do? He needs a major software upgrade in our minds. Just had that go with my computer last night. God needs to reset our hearts and give us a new update that says, I am good. You see, even the way we approach this Bible, do we know that this is a love letter from a generous father? Loving and compassionate and forgiving. And he wants us to know him, not just work for him, to know him and to be with him. And when we, when we come to the end of ourself, that's the beginning point. And as we get to know him, he changes our hearts from the inside out and he can produce generosity with it not being an effort. And it's not a duty. It's a delight. And we're going to find that in weeks ahead. Generosity at the very core is delighting. And we're more generous with our money, with our treasures, our talents, our gifts, even time. And if we would just begin to believe him, embrace him, I I think if generosity really comes, you know, some of the needs that we have for serving, people would be lined up at the door looking and going, where can I serve? Where can I give? But I think here's the challenge with us. We can put our fingers in our ears and we can ignore the whisper of the Holy Spirit inviting us to taste and see how good he really is. Elders, I want you to come on up. We want to serve communion. It's time to put religion away. And I don't know if we realize this, that this table that we're about to partake in is pointing to God's generosity. The cross is what God has done graciously, abundantly, and he is generous. Guys, you want to hand out the bread? Father, this story is really a profound story of who you are and the graciousness and the generosity of your heart. Lord, you're there and you don't always try to teach us a lesson, but you just keep whispering, come to me. So, Father, as we walk through this day, as we walk through the week, might we continue to hear your Holy Spirit in our lives. That's inviting us to be with you, to love you, to sit up in your lap and receive everything that we need. So we thank you for being our Heavenly Father and being gracious. So we give this day to you, we give this week to you. These things we pray in your name. Amen.